The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Good evening. Welcome to Managing to be Wealthy. I'm your host for this evening, Spencer Hager, with me. We are graced with the presence of our Cleveland planner, Kim Wirtz, and we've also got Elijah Lee Talusa with us. Kim and myself, we are both certified financial planners. Eli's working towards it. Te- uh, test next Tuesday? Next Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah, pressure's on. Kim, how's everything <laughs> going with you up in Cleveland? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's uh, good to be on the show. Sorry I couldn't be there in person today. No, it's all good. This is the first time you and me have actually ever been on the show together. I do believe it is. Yeah, feels good. The collision of two great minds. Let's see what happens. So, <laughs> love it. So for today's show, uh, actually, it's going to be a little bit of a twist on the last show I hosted. So I want to say that was five to six weeks ago at this point. But the whole conversation that that show was, if you're looking to retire early, early being before 65, what are the considerations? This time, we're actually going to do a little bit of a different spin and say, what if you're late to retirement planning? Okay, what if we have to play a little bit of catch up? What are some ideas, considerations, things people talk about? And all that fun stuff. So it should be a pretty action-packed show. But before we get into that, as always, I like to start with a couple economic updates, just current events, nothing too crazy. Uh, First one being, I know Steven's talked about it. Eli, I think it's been a few shows since you've been in here. But a lot of talks up on Capitol Hill of changing up some tax requirements uh, or tax regulation specifically for retirement plan contributions. And a big one is they're talking about doing away with backdoor Roth contributions. Kim, have you looked into that at all? Have you been keeping up with the news? So I have been. And, you know, like always, we won't really know what to do until they actually put this into law. Um, But they have been talking about possibly getting rid of the backdoor Roth uh, contribution. Uh, conversion and the mega Roth contribution as well. However, the most recent stuff that I have read says that maybe that's off the table. So maybe they're looking at uh, keeping that right now. Yeah, I feel like my head's spinning every time. It's every week they're changing it up, which I think shows you just how <laughs> how uh, interesting things are up on Capitol Hill. So to explain a little bit more, a Roth conversion or backdoor Roth, what we're talking about is if you have, say, a Roth IRA, Currently, the IRS puts some income limitations on who can contribute towards those. So right now, if you're single, if you make up to 140000 adjusted gross income on the tax turn, you can contribute towards one. Once you go above that, they say, sorry, you make too much money. If you're married filing joint, it's up to about 205 to 208. 208. Yep. And right. if, yeah, if you make more than that, then they say you can't do it. Okay. The backdoor Roth, it's an interesting concept. Essentially, if if you meet the requirements, you could put money into a traditional IRA, and if you don't get a tax deduction, you then convert that to a Roth IRA. So even if you make too much money, you still can contribute towards it. You just have to take that extra step. However, some news came about uh, some people who are deemed too wealthy 
got some big Roth IRAs, and so that's kind of what started this whole conversation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the proposals out there almost trying to get the wealthy to pay their fair share of taxes. Uh, Not to get too political, but um, a lot of people view these uh, wealthy individuals using this as the opportunity to preserve wealth. So essentially, when you do those Roth conversions, whether that be the backdoor or the mega backdoor Roth, you essentially reduce the RMDs since Roth IRAs do not have that required minimum distribution like the traditional IRAs do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The wealthy. Yeah. What's the wealthy? But it is uh, essentially, like I said, a couple people got very large tax-free Roth IRAs, and so it's become a sticking point. But it was essentially one week they're talking about doing away with it completely. The next week they may put an income limitation and just change it a little. And now another week's gone by, and it seems like they're not going to touch it at all. So hence why I said my head spinning. So and I I I find this kind of interesting too. So let's say this does go through and you know, mega backdoors and backdoor Roth conversions are no longer allowed. I wonder if employers will use this as a way to incentivize employees to do maybe more Roth contributions to their employer provided plans. So I'm I'm curious. See what kind of how this will shake out. Maybe. It's expensive. I mean, that's a big cost on employers to even house big 401ks like that. And then to add something like a Roth 401k option, Mm -hmm. sometimes I think people don't appreciate how that's not guaranteed at every employer. So, but I'm sure that would make it a little bit more relevant. Kim, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to throw in about that mega backdoor Roth and how that's similar to the strategy in an individual IRA um, and just allowing that excess contribution and then immediately converting it can help you avoid some of those taxes. So that is a really good strategy for those higher income earners that can allow them to build up their after-tax bucket. And uh, it's good news that it's not going to be, it looks like anyway, at the moment, it's not going to be going away. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I don't think I've ever talked to so many CPAs before, uh, accounts where they're they seem more unsure, or kind of pessimistic with the tax outlook than I feel like some of the financial advisors are. So, yeah, when I, I saw that news come out that they're probably not going to implement it, I think we all breathed a sigh of relief. So, what, One thing, though, that I think might be sticking is uh, requiring a distribution on IRAs that have balances over $10 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that, too. Mm-hmm. So that that could be a way for them to still get some of their money and get the tax, like Eli said, from those high-income earners, the rich. Yeah, and it's obviously not getting political, but I think you can see the back and forth from kind of the different wings up in Congress right now. It's every every time someone comes out with something that's a little bit strong in one direction, politically or uh, primarily on the Democratic side right now, they throw something out there and then the other side comes and says, no, 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 that's either too nice to the wealthy or it's not helping out the middle of the road enough. And so I think that's why we're seeing this constant back and forth almost every week. So I wouldn't be shocked if they put that one through, though. So I agree. So the other one, speaking of, you can see the back and forth. So uh, the state and local income tax. Okay, so if you all will remember Back before 2017, when they had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, what they did was before if you had state and local income taxes, property taxes, if you were evaluating should you take the standard deduction or should you take or itemize your deductions, the state and local income tax and the property tax, that played a big role in whether you take itemized versus standard. And what 2017, what that uh, Tax Cuts Jobs Act did was say for state and local income taxes – you're capped at $10,000. Okay, so when the standard deduction is pretty much twenty-four, twenty-five thousand, 
it makes it pretty hard to get over the gap to start itemizing because really your only options would be mortgage interest or charitable giving. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that hurt a lot of people in, in blue states particular, any state with high state income taxes. So New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, all those people took it on the chin a little bit because if you were deducting $50,000 and you just got put to $10,000, it hurt a little bit. And so now what we're seeing is Congress wants to lift that cap potentially, and they're talking about moving all the way back up to 72500 Yeah, that's some exciting news, like you said, Spencer, especially in some of those blue states where the state income taxes are higher. It provides for a lot more tax planning. Um, so regardless of kind of where you reside within the United States, the option is still out there to you. Um, so I think there's a lot of flexibility here. Um, just going down the list of itemized deductions, you know, not to get too into it. Um, it, it would put a lot less strain, let's say, on the medical expenses or the charitable giving or any interest that you pay on the mortgage. So it provides a lot more flexibility on that front, I think. Mm-hmm. And so to that, Spencer. Oh, go ahead, oh, Kim. Sorry. I was just going to say, in the you know interest of that whole all this making your head spin, there is now some new stuff that came out. I think yesterday, or maybe even today, that's saying that well, they're going to give you unlimited deductions for the state and local taxes, but we're going to put an income limit on it. So for those taxpayers who are making up to four hundred thousand, they'd be able to deduct an unlimited number. Uh, and that would phase out then up to five hundred thousand. So whether it's unlimited or the seventy-two five, that kind of still remains to be seen. Um, but they are negotiating, and I think you're right. I think it's those states up north in the Northeast—Connecticut, New York, New Jersey—that the representatives from those states are kind of helping to push this through, and uh, hopefully not give too much of a benefit to the to the rich. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll put a bow on that when we come back and we'll get into the meat of the rest of today's show. So uh, please stick around. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Uh, Tonight, you've got myself, Spencer Hager, Kim Wirtz, Eli Lee Toulouse. So when we wrapped up last segment, we were talking uh, primarily just about some current events, uh, all of the nonsense going up on Capitol Hill with the tax changes and all those proposals. So we're going to put a quick bow on that, and then we're going to move into the main topic for for, uh, today's show. So, Kim, you were making a good last point at the end there that with that state and local income tax, essentially – they're looking to maybe put an unlimited amount of deduction, but they're going to cap you on income. So I'm guessing that's going to be somewhere in the middle ground. I'm pretty sure it was our good friend Bernie Sanders who uh, kind of swooped in on that and tried to put that cap on it to make sure people making too much money didn't get too much of a deduction, which I think is fair. And so the other quick note to touch on is jobless claims came out today. I thought it was a pretty good number. I, I was happy with it. Um, I feel like it's been hovering around 290000 300000 over the past couple of weeks when I've been on the show, and it went down to 269,000 jobless claims, okay? And for a little bit of context, the pre-pandemic number was 220,000. So it still has some work to do, but it's moving in the right direction. Kim, what do you think about the number? No, I think that's great. I think that's a wonderful sign. Hopefully everybody wants to get back to work now that some of those benefits are going to be ending or have ended. 
and uh, we can get the market to recover. I think that's a wonderful sign. I, I see it a lot in the restaurants, I, and especially like um, the lower-costing ones. Like, for example, it happened within a week, not trying to expose myself too much, but I went, <laughs> I went into a Jimmy John's, and the worker there told me two people walked out on him throughout the week, and mm-hmm. the guy just looked slammed. I mean, I felt horrible for him. He was trying to balance, you know, 30 different orders, the only person. I went to a Buffalo Wild Wings in the same week. It's college football season. Same concept. Yep. They had to shut down early, and it just seems like a lot of places are getting hit. So I, I really hope the jobless claims keep going down. And I think it was something that you and I touched on the last radio show we did together with retiring early is a lot of the workforce, especially the younger workforce, with the pandemic happening, they kind of value more life experiences now. So from what I've heard from other people is that they're having a hard time retaining the younger workforce. They just you know don't want to go to work or value other things but that's what i've been hearing about most recently mm-hmm. i want everyone totally agree with that been seeing that everywhere that i go to spencer and signs that are being put up that say you know we are short-staffed please don't be short-tempered with our staff please right. be patient with us while we try to cater to your needs because so many people are pent up and are wanting to go out again and wanting to go out to eat and wanting to do social things so uh, i guess we have to try to be patient as they try to keep their workers. Yeah, absolutely. I've uh, I've never felt so incentivized to tip in my life. I tried to do it nice before <laughs> before the pandemic, but I feel especially obligated nowadays. So I agree. I'm definitely tipping closer to 25-30% even on pickup when I take out orders, pick it up and take it home. Not all heroes wear capes. That's what I always say. Not all heroes wear capes. So, but we'll leave it at that. So, and uh if you are interested with some of the tax planning talk, shameless plug please come back after thanksgiving we're going to be talking a lot about year-end tax planning so i'm sure there's going to be some more developments by then but moving into the big topic so i've been reading a lot of articles i don't think it's any secret out there we talk about it a lot you know people don't necessarily prioritize retirement savings first okay the older generation especially talking about generation x baby boomers there's a lot of talks often that they don't necessarily save enough there could be some wealth inequality and I just keep reading more and more articles about people having a lot of nerves, uh, nervousness, feeling uneasy about moving towards retirement. So I thought this would be a really good show to talk about. If you're in that tough spot, it's not unnavigable. It's just you have to ma- be very meticulous, methodical with trying to get prepped for retirement. So I was reading one particular uh, piece of literature, and it was talking about how for millennials, okay, the middle class or the middle income earners represent about 14% of their generation's wealth. Generation X, baby boomers, not even close. So for all the talks about wealth inequality, it seems like it's affecting the younger people a lot less, at least, than the older generation as far as net worth goes. Kim, did you read anything on that by chance? Spencer, first of all, I'm a little incensed here that you're calling me the older generation. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> um, But yes, I actually have been reading a little bit about that, and I think everybody's behind. But maybe the younger kids aren't saving as much. Maybe they haven't had the opportunity. Maybe they didn't get a good head start on a Roth IRA when they started working at 16, and they only got a start with the 401k. Maybe they're not saving enough, you know, for that reason. Maybe they're trying to get out on their own and managing their first budget and paying bills and finding that budget's tight, but they still want to be out. So, um, yeah, it's always shocking to me to see those numbers 
because it's so extremely low. And I don't know what people think or what they're planning to do when that paycheck ends. Kim, you put words in my mouth there. I was going to lump you in with the Gen Z, the Zillennials. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> no, but uh, well, thank you. Yeah. I just gave myself away. <laughs> yeah, no problem. But no, I agree. So it's startling. So we're going to go through a couple things. I've seen a lot of uh, popular questions in the past, and we're just going to unpack it, I think, because when it comes to trying to, if you're behind the eight ball and you need to get caught up with retirement, there's no black and white answer or mm -hmm. correct answer. And I think that's why it's there's a lot of diversity of opinions on the matter. So we'll start with an easy one. Okay, pay down debt versus investing more. So I'll just throw out a hypothetical. You're 45 years old, really behind the eight ball, not much to show as far as retirement savings. And you've also got a big mortgage, maybe some student loans still mm -hmm. charging three, four percent. Do you prioritize paying down the debt because ideally no one wants to have debt in retirement, or do we just pay what we have to pay and ramp up the savings? Very good question, Spencer. And it's our favorite answer. It depends, right? But the very first thing we need to do is what are we planning for, right? If we don't know what retirement looks like, regardless if you're behind the curve or not, you don't know how to take that best plan of attack. But assuming that, you know, it's a, you know, just a hypothetical scenario, you said rates on the loans were three, four percent. Mm -hmm. You just weigh the options here at this point. Um, if you invest into, let's say, a IRA or your 401k, you know, a hypothetical rate of return, assuming a decent or an appropriate uh, target allocation within the account, and you could possibly earn that six to eight percent rate of return, it might make sense to do a hybrid approach. Keep making the debt payments and keep making some contributions to the qualified plan or IRA, whatever it may be. So you have you have to kind of weigh those pros and cons there. Okay, fair. Let's let's pick on that. So six to eight percent hypothetical. So let's ask this then, and we're gonna keep it all on the same topic. If you're behind the eight ball and you've got that four hundred one k qualified plan, should you be as aggressive as possible when it comes to the investment strategy? And also, you cannot say it depends. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, that's the favorite answer, though, Spencer. I know. That's why we got to take it I away. Think I'm going to jump in and say, don't get greedy. So, you know, don't because you're behind the eight ball. I don't like to see people take on more risk than they can stomach than their portfolio can withstand as they get closer to retirement they don't have as much time to make up for that savings so any hit on that portfolio could derail them so my plan is be more like the tortoise and not the hare so don't invest more aggressively yep and that's kind of one of the things we preach when we talk about our investment philosophy is time in the market is more important than timing and market performance itself so kim i agree with you having more time in the market and not being too greedy, probably the best course of action there. Okay, I'll be the odd one out, and I'll say that maybe what do you have to lose, but I'll expand upon that when we get back. <laughs> so uh, please stick around. We're just getting started with this. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about on this one. So uh, you've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Tonight we are talking about catching up on retirement if you're in that situation where you think you're a little bit behind the curve. So I think this is a pretty common topic. I think there's a lot out there, a lot of people out there that feel 
they may fall into that category, right? We were citing off some statistics in the last segment that a lot of people sometimes wait until maybe it's a little bit later. They need to be very meticulous with planning for retirement. So if you are listening to the show, you think it applies to you, you want to find out more about our services or just have someone listen to your situation and try and help you out a little bit with your plan, you can always feel free to go to our website, managingtobewealthy.com, click Take Action up on the top right. You can set up an hour consultation meeting with one of our planners, maybe myself, Eli. And like I said, no free dinners, but it's all free of charge, and we'll sit there. We'll talk you through your plan and uh, and see if we can do anything to help. So, But we'll jump back into it. I, of course, will be the odd one out again, a little <laughs> bit aggressive. So we were talking about do you prioritize paying off debt or do you prioritize investing? Do you do a hybrid approach? And then within that, if you're investing, if you feel like you're behind, should you really ramp up the risk factor or equity exposure? Okay, mm-hmm. there's always risk investing. Eli, Kim, you both said you wouldn't do it. I don't know. I would maybe think of it from the approach. If you're in your mid-40s, okay, if you feel like you're behind on retirement, you're probably not retiring for 15, 20, maybe 25 years, hopefully Mm -hmm. not. I would argue you can maybe take it on at that point. So even if I sat down with someone and they said maybe they thought they should be 70% stocks, 80% stocks, 20%, 30% bonds, I don't know. I could see myself arguing the opposite. You know, maybe you should unless you're actually going to have trouble sleeping at night. Right. to 100% stocks. Uh, It kind of goes back to what I led off with that we need to know what we're planning for first. So if we're not planning for retirement for another 15, 20 years, like you said, I can see you taking on more risk exposure. Mm -hmm. So like you said, Spencer, it it all depends on when that retirement goal is. You went back on the one rule. Said depends. Don't say it (laughs) depends, but it does. (laughs) Okay. So let's, let's take it another step then. And Kim, I, I'm once again, I think you and me, well, maybe we won't disagree. Let's see. So <laughs> here's a question for you, and this one is a little bit dicey, but say you're in your mid-40s, you're at peak income, okay? So this is not a situation where we're running up high credit card balances, anything like that. We're just, we have a mortgage, like a lot of people out there, maybe some student loans, lower interest, 3 to 4%, okay? Maybe you can open up a home equity line of credit on the house, now maybe three, four, or five percent could vary. With today's interest rates, it's probably closer to three to four percent. Does it ever make sense to take some money from the HELOC, the home equity line of credit, and apply it towards some sort of investment to try and outpace the interest rate? What do you think? <laughs> so, well, does it ever make sense? It might make sense, and I don't want to come back to the it depends. Mm -hmm. Does it make me nervous to do that a little bit? And it would depend a lot on the client. If we have a client who I know is very good with their cash management, their debt management, their credit cards are paid off, their spending is in control, then I might feel more inclined to use a HELOC to grab some extra cash to pad the investments because I would feel confident that they then would be able to repay that HELOC. However, if those people might have some spending issues or are carrying debt or pay down debt and then run it back up, those things are kind of red flags to me, and I would be very hesitant then to put a house on the line to risk a house to pad up investments where I would be more inclined to work on the psychology of the spending and try to get them to spend less save more traditionally. I, I like that. I like that. I've seen a lot of blog posts in the past, and I, like I said, this is probably years ago at this point, and I'm not talking about Reddit, but 
I've seen some where they try and talk about it, and they phrase it more of, well, if you're going to take 20000 from the HELOC, but you immediately need to cash out your investments in six months, it does make sense. You know, absolutely. That's not what we're talking about. But could you take a large draw from a HELOC, put it in a brokerage account, an IRA, and then just let it sit there? And Kim, to your point, if you got some good cash flow management, pay off the debt, keep doing that. It is risky. I mean, I think I can speak for all of us. I don't think anyone would ever throw that idea out there unless it was actually in a spot where we really needed to look at something like that. But it is an interesting question. I know if I brought this up, to, if Tyler was in the room with us right now, I know he would give a firm no. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're scary because the interest rate is adjustable. So if yeah. you get into an interest rate environment where it could go up, now you're stuck with that balance and that higher payment. So if you're paying and driving it down regularly, maybe that interest rate doesn't matter. But rarely does that happen. Typically, people are going to pay their monthly payment and interest rates going to go up. They're going to get caught with their pants down. So it does make me a little a little nervous. I'd rather work, like I said, on getting a good plan and saving the old-fashioned way. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's a really good point because usually with these variable rate uh, home equity lines of credit, they'll, if they start you at 4%, they'll usually say maximum percentage it can go up to. It is rarely you get a 4% interest rate and they say max 8%. It's usually max 30% or 20%. It's some mm -hmm. astronomical rate. So I would definitely say if it's something where you're considering it, make sure you play out all of the uh, different scenarios, and I would definitely be conservative. But it's a popular question and definitely depends. It has its merits on both sides. Yeah, and, and to put a ribbon on that too, so if you review like um, taking that money from the HELOC – using that towards investments, think about the opportunity cost of not investing. I think you know where I'm going with this one, Spencer, mm -hmm. but if we wait to invest that money, what what's the potential return that we're losing out on? So you also have to weigh that as well. And you know, you while you're taking on more debt, you could use that debt as leverage. But once again, I think it more depends on the client's cash flow management and if they have good behaviors in that aspect, then it might be something to consider. Yeah, we've run the calculation before. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to prove it out that mm -hmm. it, you could be ahead. I mean, if we're talking about an 8%, 9% compounded return as opposed to a 4% interest rate that you're paying off the debt within a couple months, six months, I mean, it's pretty easy where you could justify it, but it is all the, the risks that makes Kim nervous, Tyler nervous, that I, I agree. It, it makes me nervous too. So, uh, But Kim, you said – oh, go ahead. Oh, what? I was just going to say, Eli brought up a point, and I'm not sure we really did answer the question, should we pay off the debt first or save more? And I feel like the answer is both because of that opportunity cost. If you focus on paying the debt down and you're not saving now, you are giving up those returns and you know all that compound growth that you could have if you start now. So I think my answer to one or the other is both if you can. I Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, that's a good point, Kim. I mean, I think if I was forced to choose an answer, I would probably say I would I would pick investing. All right, I, you, I'm very debt averse. So this is once again, if you're in a dire straight situation, that's what we're talking about. Because usually I would say hybrid, I hate debt. So I want to pay it off as quick as possible. But if you're in a position where you really need to make up ground, getting as much into something that's going to compound in growth, as opposed to trying to pay off a 4% debt, every time I'm going to lean towards just throwing as much you can into investments. But I think your answer is fair too, Kim. Well, and I, I don't disagree with you, Spencer, and I think that ties back into the rate. What's the rate? Yep. 
And if we're talking a 16% credit card versus a 3% HELOC, that's different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So we're about 50 seconds out from the break, but Kim, you were saying if you had the option, you would lean towards some of the more traditional ideas for trying to make the plan work, find some efficiencies. Do you want to kind of give a brief intro to what you were talking about with that? My typical response, spend less, save more, work longer, downsize, move someplace else that has a lower cost of living. Well said. That's a good way to end it right there. That's, that's, yeah, that's the main five, so I appreciate it. Right. Yeah, so right. we'll talk a little bit more on that when we come back. A couple other items, but uh, yeah, still plenty to go through. So please stick around to the last segment. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. We're coming in on the home stretch for today's show. The whole topic of conversation has been talking about ways to prioritize or things to prioritize if you are in a little bit of a pinch for retirement or even if you just feel like you could be more prepared. So we're wrapping up the last segment. Kim just rattled off five or six items off the top of her head, which are all good ones about, we've talked about, do you pay off debt, invest? Do you go into debt to invest? Which I think makes us all feel a little bit uncomfortable. I think reality is we would like to prioritize everything you were saying, Kim, about you know spend less, save more, maybe work a little bit longer, I, I hesitate on budgets, Kim. I know you're a little bit more, um, you're a little bit more of a fan of budgets, and which I respect. I just think they're a little bit hard to adhere to sometimes. But I think they're all really good things you should look at when you're trying to sure up the retirement plan. So, Eli, is there one of those that? You usually start with the most if you're talking to someone who's in a, in a little bit of a tight spot. Yeah, so that very first thing, Kim, to me at least, is what are we spending? I feel like that's what we have the most control of. Uh, my argument for that is, you know, as to how long we can work, we all know that ageism is a very real thing. And then also quality of health. If your health's not in the, you know, the best condition, you might not be able to continue working. So I think that very first thing is revisiting that spending number, not saying you have to reduce it, but make sure that that's the actual number that you are planning for. That way you can develop a proper game plan and say, hey, if this is how much I need to have, let's go get it. Let's let's start saving for it. Mm-hmm. So that's that budget, right? <laughs> and it's not necessarily something that you have to do, you know, once a week or once a month for 40 years, but it really does help you to get an idea of exactly where your money is going. If you're not looking at it, how do you know when you went to the ATM and you took out $20 to go get, you know, some lottery tickets or whatever it is, where can you stop the bleeding? Where can you stop that outflow? And a lot of times if you do write it down, you take a look at it and it's real easy to see, you know, I don't need to be going to Starbucks every day. I can make my own coffee in the morning. And some of those ways that you can spend less without really feeling the tightening, without really feeling, you know, the pain (laughs) of spending less and watching your money all the time. I, I mean, I do agree a lot because I think when you talk about spend less, save more, work longer, we would all like to be able to do all three of those. But I think reality is it usually comes down to which one of those three drives you the most crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? If it's, mm-hmm. hey, I can't adjust this lifestyle. My savings is what it is. Okay, well, then I'm, I don't want to be the one to say it, but maybe we have to work longer. Or if it's, hey, there's no mm-hmm. way I'm going to make it until 67. We have to do something to make it work. 
okay, let's look at the budget. Kim, mm-hmm. to your point, let's ease back Starbucks and increase the IRA contribution. So I do think if you're really trying to take a serious look, I find it – I think you'll be hard-pressed not to at least analyze your spending and then consider making a budget from there. Yep. I think Eli brought up a really good point, too, about what does your retirement picture look like? What do you actually want to do? So I have a good friend who was laid off during COVID, and then by the time he was ready to go back to work, he realized he wasn't ready to go back to work. And he was probably nine years away from the retirement where he thought, the age that he thought he was going to retire, but reevaluated, sold his house downsized, bought a little place in Florida, has a real simple lifestyle, and is absolutely in heaven. So it just depends what it's going to look like. Are you taking your whole family on $20,000 vacations every year? Do you want to travel? Are you going to play 18 holes of golf five days a week or seven days a week would be even better, wouldn't it? So, you know, how important are those things to you? And then you got to figure out, do I want to sacrifice now or do I want to sacrifice later when I'm retired? Because at some point, the sacrifice has to be made. All right. So you just made me think of one of the last topics I know we wanted to touch on, Kim. So it's a good segue. The idea that he got laid off during COVID, that's rough. I'm guessing he didn't want to be cut off nine years ahead of what the plan was saying. So here's another tough one. It's easy to talk about. Should you invest? Pay down debt. How should you go about investing? It's all easy. A tough one to put into the mix, especially when you feel like you're being pinched on the plan itself. Just talking about disability insurance. So mm-hmm. imagine if you feel like you're already behind the, the curve and then something happens. You're We talked about mid-40s. All of a sudden, you're in your mid-50s. The plan was to work until 67, and you just became disabled, and you just took a 40% pay cut. Yeah, I would argue that this is probably the number one thing that you need to be considering You know, if you're behind the eight ball because – like you said, Spencer, your income is the most important asset that you have at this point. Without your income, you know, you can't continue to pay down the debt. You can't continue to save for, you know, even the late retirement. So getting a disability insurance policy, whether it be through work or through or an individual private policy, yeah, it might be costly, but protecting that is so much provides so much value to your plan. And it's expensive. Mm-hmm. That's the tough part. <laughs> and and, and we laugh about it, but we can also look at different options. So the group coverage is typically a little bit cheaper, and then individual policies, we can even do reduced benefits to provide even some coverage in that aspect. Right, and group meaning it's through your employer, yes. employer provided. Yeah, that's true. But even then, usually the reason we – and I know we've talked about life insurance, mm-hmm. disability insurance, all of that stuff on the show in the past. So, But with the disability insurance, typically when it's through work, unless it's a – horrible disability. I mean, something that you're just out of commission. Usually they have those stipulations in the definitions where unless it's something really bad, they may not pay you out until 65. It may be two or three years and then you're on your own. Go Mm -hmm. work at Target. Not to say there's anything wrong with working at Target. That's my my (laughs) alma mater right there. But Kim, anything you'd add on disability insurance? Oh, I just think that, like you said, that's our number one resource that we have. And typically when you're in your 40s and your 50s, those are your higher income earning years. And if you are behind the eight ball, losing the ability to produce an income could seriously derail you even further. So it's probably not a good thing to be penny wise and pound foolish. It can be expensive, but you really have to consider what would happen if I lost my income. 
So if you can't get by without it and you still need it, then you should definitely look into disability insurance. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to backpedal a little bit because I just thought of this, and this is one of the it depends situations, but if you're concerned about what about long-term care, if you're concerned about long-term care, we, we said disability insurance is expensive. Long-term care insurance is equally, if not more expensive, <laughs> depending on your age. It's brutal. And so if you're concerned about long-term care, then maybe it does make more sense to pay off the debt aggressively. Or maybe you should at least do the hybrid because a big tool that a lot of people, if you maybe can't afford an insurance policy, is there's reverse mortgages out there. I know that's a little bit taboo. But if you pay off enough on the home, you have that nice equity there. It almost can serve like an insurance policy. If it doesn't come up in the future, good for you. You've got a lot of equity on your home. If something does happen where all of a sudden you need a nurse or someone coming in to help you, you could tap the equity in your home potentially. And that can help out a lot there. So that's a good situation to prioritize debt repayment. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. Disability insurance is a big one. Um, Kim, I know you like minimalism. You want to give us 30 seconds on that? (laughs) (laughs) So it's my favorite time of year, too, as we come into the end of the year. I always take the week in between Christmas and New Year's to declutter, get rid of stuff, and go through everything. And last year, I think I did that a little bit longer because I didn't take my typical vacation. So I spent a solid month getting rid of things and sold them on Amazon Marketplace, things like light fixtures and old wine racks and silly stuff that I kept thinking that, oh, maybe my kids will want this when they move into their first place. And you know they don't. So (laughs) I made a little bit of money. And every day I was getting some cash and it was cash and it was nice. And even though it was during COVID, I'd lice all the cash and let it sit there and make sure it was all clean and disinfected (laughs) before I went and spent it. So Well said. I think we can all use a little bit of minimalism. So I do want to say just before we wrap up, so we are very happy, proud to announce that we are fastly coming up on 10-year anniversary for having Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. So just like today, I hope everyone gets a little bit of good tidbits inside out of what we talk about. We're really excited to have many more years on 610 WTVN in Columbus talking about financial planning. And please come around for our show on November 14th. That's going to be the 10-year anniversary. So please come back next time. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN.